My friends, hear the word of the Lord. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be acceptable in his sight. O oh, our Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is right towards the end of the Bible. You should be able to find it fairly easily. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's going to take us a while here in the talk before we actually get to this passage, but if you're listening carefully, hopefully everything that we say will be very clearly associated with this passage. You should be able to connect really easily the things at the beginning of uh, the talk here to the end of the talk when we actually look specifically at this text. Have you ever uh, played Opposite Day? Do you guys remember playing Opposite Day either as a kid or with your own kids or with your parents, something like that? Uh, I had to check uh, with some other folks to make sure this just wasn't a nap family thing. Uh, but opposite day was that one day every once in a while uh, where yes meant no and no meant yes. And so, you know, the, uh, that was kind of the, the game everybody decided to play. And so, uh, you know, the kids would say to mom, hey, can we go watch TV and, and knee-jerk reaction? She'd say no, and they'd go, yay, and they'd go and watch TV because that means that they'd be allowed to say that. No means yes. And you'd have to, uh, if you want to survive in that game, as a parent in particular, you have to uh, kind of retrain your mind. You have to ha think totally differently that entire day, and it's uh, an annoying thing that you have to do. Uh, more seriously, uh, have you ever worked with or been involved with anybody that is rehabbing from a stroke-like in injury or something like a stroke-like injury? Uh, very often they talk in terms of you have to retrain them. You have to be retrained to do simple things like walk or feed yourself or even talk. There's a retraining, a, a, a relearning that has to take place if you're going to make sense, if you're going to faithfully learn and function in this world following a stroke or playing opposite day. Or in this instance, when we come to this particular line in the Apostles' Creed, again, we're studying the Apostles' Creed because it's such a wonderful summary it's a great articulation of what the Bible holds. Uh, for instance, what we're going to look at today is a great way of summarizing not just the Peter passage that we're going to look at, but other texts as well that speak about the nature of the church. And so today we are looking at that passage that I can't tell you how many people glitched on uh, when they say it. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, easily since we started this series and we've been uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed together, this is the line that has attracted most of attention, at least for me. These are the lines that people come up and talk to me about this. Uh, I was trying to think about, I, shouldn't have, I should have kept track because I knew that that'd be the case, but I think that it's easily been uh, two to three dozen different individuals who have come up to me at some point in the game and said, you know, what's this about the I believe in the Holy Catholic Church? Are we asserting 
that we believe in the, you know, that the Roman Catholic Church exists somewhere. And those of you who are familiar with the Roman Catholic Church, know, you know, are we saying that we believe the Pope exists and that there are cardinals and that there's bishops and that they have this uh, adoration of Mary and the saints that uh, we wouldn't necessarily associate with and that there are some other different things that separate. Why are we asserting something about the holy, the Roman Catholic Church here when we gather together? Well, that's not what we're saying when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We're saying something very different, somewhat different than that. And in order to embrace it, in order to understand what it is that we're asserting, and again, we're only asserting this because we think that it's what the scriptures drive us to believe. What, what is the content of our faith? Well, part of the content of our faith is to understand God's function in and through the church. And so we assert that by saying, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But again, to do so, we need to retrain ourselves, we need to shift ourselves a little bit, simply because the language that we use is so consistently oriented in a certain way. We use language in a certain way, and here we need to shift it a little bit to embrace exactly what we're saying when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church. Now, we begin all the way at the most important line with the idea of church, because through nobody's fault, and I want to make sure this is clear, I'm not blaming anybody for this. This is simply the way our language developed and the way in which we speak. When we talk about church, we inevitably end up talking about a building or an institution or something along those lines. When we talk, you know, my office is up in the church. When I say that, everybody knows what we're talking about. I have an office up in that building up over there. Or when we say, hey, I'm going to church on Sunday morning. There's more to it than just, hey, I'm going to that building, but certainly that's what's in everybody's mind. Uh, part of the way in which we use the word church in today's society is to reference the building. We have this building and we call it the church. That is not the way the scriptures are used that term. And you can immediately jump to this when you realize that there would have been no such building, at least not towards the the very end of the first century. So within maybe 50, 60 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, there were dedicated buildings for people to come to worship. But long before that, you had this call of people to come to church. Church, not a building. So when we talk about a church, we're talking about something different than a building. We're also talking about something different than an institution. I work at a church. Okay, I, I do. Um, uh, the committee meetings here and the session that runs the church and the staff that run the there's an institutional aspect to what we mean when we say church. And that's okay too. That's, that's the way in which we use the language. But once again, when the scriptures talk about the church and when we also talk about the church, we need to have something different in mind. And you've heard this before, I'm sure, that the church is not a building the church is not the steeple. The church is not the institution. The church is the people. The church, we are the church. The church is not the fact that we all gather in one building or that we all function in the same way. We are the church. And that means that that is, an inst that is a gathering, a fellowship of, of people that God himself has brought into existence. 
So when we think, when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the church, what we're saying is that we believe that God, for whatever reason, we're not looked at the reason yet, but for whatever reason, God has determined that he is going to function in this world through a community, through a gathering of individuals who are going to gather together, and he calls that the church. And so when we affirm that God believe, that we believe in the church, we're affirming that God is going to work. Now, I need to reinforce something. It is a long-held tenant and an important one within the evangelical world, which we are part of, within Orthodox Christianity, which we are a part of, that we individually stand before our God that God connects with every one of us individually, that you don't get to the, know the Lord simply by virtue of the fact that you come to a building and worship every once in a while, or that because your parents were Christians, therefore you are a Christian. We recognize the necessity of individually, each one of us, coming before the Lord and interacting and connecting with God. It is nevertheless also equally true that the scriptures over and over again reinforce the idea that God works in a community. That God's desire is not just for each of you individually, but rather for us as a body, collectively, pulled together. And so when we affirm, I believe in the church, we are saying not just that we believe the church exists, okay, we do that. But we're saying that we believe, we trust, we understand that God is going to work powerfully in this world. An essential part, an essential part of his redemption of our lives is to bring us into a community. So we have to retrain ourselves that when we're standing here saying, I believe in the church, what we're asserting is that I believe not in this institution or in the building, but rather I believe that God intends for there to be a community, a gathering of people, a fellowship that are functioning to fulfill the calling that he has given to each one of us. I believe in the holy Catholic Church. As much as the church is misunderstood, so to some extent is the word holy. Understandably so. My guess is, unless you're really trained yourself, and if you have, good for you, but my guess is that if you, if you haven't really trained yourself, the word holy immediately evokes some kind of sense of moral righteousness, or goodness, or a, or a perfection, or a purity, or something like that. All of which what we mean when we talk about God being holy. When we talk about God being holy, all of those characteristics are part of that. And so when we talk about the church being holy, it's natural for us to immediately jump to the idea that we're talking about the purity of the church or the moral perfection of the church or the goodness of the church or something like that. But again, that's not what's being affirmed. Now, occasionally, and I don't want to minimize this, in Paul's letters, he absolutely talks about the importance of moral perfection, the importance of our learning to live good, godly lives. That's in the scriptures consistently. But almost always when the word holy is used, God is not, the scriptures are not driving us towards the thinking process of perfection or purity. What we're being driven towards is that baseline understanding of the word holy. To be holy is to be set apart. It's to be separated away. 
When we talk about believing in the Holy Church, we are saying that we believe in this gathering of people that God has brought together and that God intends for, God intends for that group to be distinct, to be separate. Now, to be separate from what? We are to be separate from the world. We are to be distinct from all that is around us. Now, what marks that distinction? What identifies us as distinct, what identifies you as holy in God's eyes is not your moral righteousness. It's not what you are doing. It is what God has done already. You are holy because he has set you apart and made you a part of this community. Because he has made you a part of this community, you are holy. Now, you can see it's not a big jump. If we are supposed to be separate from the world, and the world is marked by their union with Satan, with their, if the world is marked by the depravity, the unforgiven depravity of their sin, then it's easy to see how Christians go from the idea of being set apart to the idea of a moral purity or a moral righteousness. And well, we should. But that doesn't define your holiness. What defines the holy church is the fact that God has acted. God has set us apart. So when we say, I believe in the holy Catholic church, we have to reorient, our, we have to retrain our minds to say, what are we talking about when we talk about church? We're talking about the gathering of people that God has brought together. What do we mean when we talk about the holy Catholic church? That God is the one who has acted, has set us apart intentionally, but nothing takes a more reorientation for us than the word Catholic. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, unless you're well-skilled in, your, uh, in your English vocabulary, you may not recognize that the word Catholic means universal. It's just like we, we, in the Apostles' Creed that we recited a little bit ago, we talked about the Holy Ghost. Last week, we talked about the Holy Ghost is just Old English for saying the Holy Spirit. And we talked about Siddhath. Uh, you know, and we said, you know, that's just old English language for that. In the same way, the word Catholic simply means universal. It was a good adjective that was used frequently in English, in English discourse uh, four or five hundred years ago. And you can see why the Roman church uses the word Catholic. Because they want to be identified, the Roman church wants to be identified, you know, from the Pope on down, starting in Rome and then moving all the way throughout the world. They want to think of themselves as going all the way throughout the world, as an institution, as a building, and so they think of themselves, they want to claim the name of Catholic. We claim the name Catholic not as a descriptive, not as a, a term, uh, a label that identifies us as somehow associated with Rome. Rather, we claim the, the word Catholic to describe the universal nature of what God has called into existence. Now that universal nature has two aspects to it. If you've ever traveled overseas and if you've ever worshiped overseas, and I know we've got some people right now that are overseas and I'm excited for them to worship in, in 
in settings where you're worshiping with the church overseas. I, I did a lot of international travel in the past situations where I was gathered with the people of God. And of course, they're singing in language. I know no language but English, and I barely know English. Um, but, uh, but I'm always with these people, and, we're, and they're singing in, in Creole, or they're singing in Spanish, or they're singing in French, or whatever, and I, or Arabic. And I'm like, this, and it's beautiful to worship with God's people throughout this world. And so part of what we mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, is that we believe in the Holy Church that God has called into existence, and geographically, it is going everywhere. And that is crucial and wonderful for us in this regard. But more than that, the church is universal in a more theologically important way, I think, for us. What is one of the most important aspects that happened in the book of Acts? We think of the book of Acts, and if you're familiar with the biblical story, you immediately jump to things like Paul's conversion, Jesus' ascension, the birth of the church, the beginning of the martyrdom of the apostles, all of these incredibly important events that took place in the church. Usually people don't jump to Acts 15. Acts 15 is the Council of Jerusalem where all the church leaders gathered together and they said this, simple question. Do you have to do something? Do you have to be something in order to become part of the church? Do you have to be Jewish to become part of the church? Do you have to follow God's regulations in the Old Testament to become part of the church? Do you have to live in a certain area? Do you have to work a certain way? Do you have to carry yourself in a certain manner? And consistently, the church has vowed through the centuries and continues to assert today, no, you don't. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to abide by the Old Testament law. You don't have to believe certain things. You don't have to follow. What do you have to do in order to be a Christian you have to be called by God into fellowship through Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is universal. It embraces everyone. There is no people group where the word of God does not go forth. There is no tribe, there is no nation, there is no person that has certain tendencies or looks a certain way or is of a certain nationality or a certain race that somehow excludes them from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is a universal gospel, not just meaning that it's everywhere, meaning that it is for everyone, for everyone. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe in that body of believers that God himself has set apart and called into existence that is spread throughout the entire world and encompasses every nation, every people. Great. Did you guys catch that, the passage that Jerry read earlier? A multitude standing before the throne that no one can count, no one can measure. And that's the picture of 1 Peter. Again, if you go in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 9, sorry, chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen, listen, there are four different characteristics. Before we do that, let's cover this though. You are, 
This is not individual. This is, this is yins. Yins are. Yins are the Holy Catholic. Okay, this is all of us together. This is not Peter speaking to you as an individual. This is Peter speaking to us. When he looks out at us, he says, yins. Yins are, not yins should be, or not yins are getting to be, or not yins should shoot towards, but you all are right now. This is the definition of you. You are a chosen race. Now, the word race here doesn't necessarily have some of the racial ethnic uh, ideas in which we associate with the word race. It means a distinct group of people, a, a people who are, are, are measurably uh, are distinct and that you can see it and that you can tell. And you are what forms that? What makes that group? What makes yins all distinct from the world? You are chosen. Chosen by God. Knowing, my, uh, and knowing me as you do at this point, it probably will not surprise you that uh, during those athletic picking events and stuff like that, pick your team, you know, I was never chosen first. Um, I wasn't chosen near the top. Um, Rarely was I chosen last, which made me feel better. But, you know, I wasn't, I was, and, and the choosing that we have in mind is built on something. I was never chosen first because I was never worth choosing first for any athletic event. That's completely contrary to the biblical worth, word chosen and to the biblical idea of election and the biblical idea of, of being chosen for something. Over and over again, consistently through the scriptures, the chosenness is completely unmerited. It is completely unearned. It is completely undeserved. When this text says that you are a chosen race, it's making the point that you are set apart by God simply because of his own pleasure and mercy. That's why. You're a chosen race. You're also a royal priesthood. Now, royal here has all the concepts of a, of a kingship and all that kind of stuff that we kind of understand. And we don't have kings, so it's hard for us to appreciate this. But what it means is that you are part of the court. You are connected to the king. Because you are connected to the king, you share in that royalty together. We share in that royalty together. But more importantly, we are a royal priesthood. Now, this takes all kinds of unpacking, which we don't have time to do, but essentially, what does a priest do? A priest's job is to take two alienated people, the world and God, and somehow connect them together. That's why our ultimate high priest is no one other than Jesus Christ himself, because he takes me separated away from the holy God, and he connects us together. But because he has done that for each one of you, you too are royal priests. We, collectively, as a body, are intended to go to the world and to plead to the world saying, let us introduce you to our Lord and Savior. And then to turn to our Lord and Savior and plead on behalf of the world that is dying without him. That's what it means that we are royal priests priesthood. We are a 
holy nation. Couldn't remember. We are a holy nation. Um, that means that, that the holiness we've looked at already, the nation here, there's a unity. There's a commonality. There are divisions here in this church. There are different ideas. There are people that think things are good. There are people that think things are bad. There are people that don't think at all. All of that is the case. But in God's eyes, we are a united nation. That's an essential part of what it means for us to be a church. We are to be God's own, we are, sorry, right now, God's own possession. And I love the way this is phrased, and it's kind of hard to pick up in the English, but it's got kind of that idea where we are in God's hand. We are in the center of God's hand, and he possesses us. He has us. He's closed his hand over us. And yet at the same time, we are grabbing a hold of God, and we are latched on to him. Not only does he say, yes, this is my people, but also we can say, that is my God. There's a possessiveness that functions both ways. I love the way Revelation says it, when it says God himself, that we will be his people, and he will be our God. That's that vision that they have of the eternality picture that right now we experience as the church. This is what it means when we stand before one another and stand before God, and when we stand before the world and we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We're not talking about an institution. We're not talking about a building. We're not talking about how great we are. We are talking about a group of people, a fellowship together that God has called into existence and is set apart for a particular task so that he might be praised, so that he might be worshiped, so that he might be honored in everything we do. And it's that that I pray that you latch onto, carry with you throughout this day, into the weeks, into the time ahead when you start thinking about the church, what are you thinking about? You're thinking of us collectively, set apart by God for a particular task so that we might spread that universal picture of God's grace all through the world. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we do thank you for the salvation that you have given to us through Jesus Christ and because of his work, because of what he has done, you have enabled us to be a people that have embraced, been embraced by you, held powerfully in your hands, and to whom also we embrace and hold powerfully too. Lord, grant to us a, a deeper understanding of what it means for us to be a part of this community now and forevermore we ask. Amen.